I'm Catherine Arndt, the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. Welcome to today's episode, brought to you by the VLGA, your councillor support network and the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hi everyone, welcome to VLGA Connect. We're sitting down for conversation today about cybersecurity. What is the state of play at the moment? What do councils in particular need to be mindful of and how best should you be prepared? And to help us with that conversation, I'm delighted to have back with me Alan Briggs from Crisis Shield. Alan, welcome to VLGA Connect. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate being invited back. Good to see you as always. Of course, we had a good chat last year on the Local Government News Roundup with you and one of your colleagues about the whole crisis management space. And uh, and that leads us to cyber. And we want to talk a bit about cyber today because it's, it's an issue that's not going away. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, that is, Chris. Uh, unfortunately, it's becoming very front of mind for predominantly all our clients at the moment. And in fact, I'd say nearly 90% of our work is cyber related at the mm. moment. And look, Chris, that's for good reason, because it's mm. uh, it's a serious threat to, to businesses and the potential impact on a business is quite, um, quite significant. So mm. uh, you need to be ready. So you work with local government, but not just local government. I wonder what sort of trends or observations have you got that uh, p- people watching us today from councils might need to be aware of if they're not already? Yeah, because what we're finding across the board in, in all, everything from you know local, state, federal government um, in the private sector is, particularly around the cyber, is a lot of companies uh, uh, believe that they're well protected because they've invested a lot of money into their IT. I, and you need to. I'm not taking away mm. from that. That That is critical. So they're investing a lot of money into their IT. They're building and strengthening that area, which is good, and it needs to be done. But running parallel to that, you need to invest in your crisis team, what we call critical incident team. But mm. your executive team, they and your boards, and, and they need to be prepared as well. And if we reflect back the learnings from Optus and even Medibank is that while they had a, a significant cyber breach and an incident, the crisis, particularly for Optus, then shifted to the way they managed it and the way they mm. communicated. So we're actually really encouraging um, executives now to look at not only the IT side of it, but how does your executive team respond to a cyber incident? So and I can unpack that a bit more, but the, the key thing is these things run in parallel. They're both equally as important. And we're finding a lot of people have been paying attention to their IT strengthening, which is good, but they haven't invested in strengthening their, their executive team or their crisis team. Yeah. Um, you might be aware of some publicity this week out of New South Wales where um, the cybersecurity agency of the government has pretty much been accused of failing to help councils with regard to cybersecurity. Is there a disconnect between levels of the public sector, you think, and how far behind are they in terms of the private sector? Yeah, look, uh, I tread carefully, but we find the private sector tend to be uh, more advanced in this yeah. area. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, private sector are very much about, you know, um, they're making profit, they're running a business, and they, when they see these threats are um, coming forward, they, they're very quick to try and respond and prepare for them. So, yeah, the, the reality is in, in government, we're finding they are lagging. Having said that, uh, we're seeing a bit of a shift now where um, like here in Victoria, the Victorian government actually put out a guide, a cyber guide. It's it's generic, but mm. they you know it's, it's a big shift for them to start producing some guidance for 
government and private sector in how to respond and how to prepare for a cyber incident. Hmm. So it's been slow, but it's coming. But yeah, across generalising here, but across the board, we're finding in government they are lagging in this area. You mentioned Optus and Medibank. They were particularly high-profile cases. What particular learnings do you think from those particular cases could local government be picking up on? Number one is these things happen, and we're, we're, we're now really encouraging our and a lot of clients we work with, we're saying you've got to have the culture around, you know, this will happen, not it's unlikely to happen. I think once you start getting that on on the mindset is that this is highly likely to happen, that shifts the whole approach to things. So that's mm. number one. And, and, and looking back at Optus and even Medibank, you know, the, the learnings were that they just didn't really think that would really happen to that magnitude. So that was the first thing. So it caught them unaware, which is not good. The next thing is they just hadn't prepared, in, particularly in Optus' case, for the, the fallout from the communication and the magnitude of that event. And um, many of you may recall there was, um, they call it the train wreck interview, and I'm picking on this poor woman, but the the head of comms from Optus was put on 2GB radio a few days after the breach. And I really felt for it because she'd probably worked four or five days straight, mm. uh, very fatigued, and she was put on it, and, and it was it was terrible. I mean, she was just very um, traumatised herself. And yeah. she yeah, it wasn't a good interview. It didn't come across well. So it, that was just to me a good example where they hadn't prepared for this. And these events are, mag, you know, the, the magnitude of them are huge. And a few local councillors um, I know have been, uh, and one of them is our client, um, have been hit by cyber attacks. And it takes your whole team out. You, you've got to focus on that. And you're at the same time trying to run your normal business operations as well. So I think just um, being uh, conscious, conscious that these things are, are likely to happen and the magnitude of them can be quite significant. One of the things, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Alan, but one of the things I'm picking up is potentially a disconnect in some organisations between the IT function, which might be traditionally seen as responsible for dealing with the cyber, but also the communications management side of it. When you get into a crisis mode and you've got to have that side of it joined up, don't you? Correct, yeah. And and look, the thing we've noted too, and we're not cyber experts, we, we have partners in that area when we, we do these simulations, but the, the thing with cyber is that you'll usually find this, there's something is either uh, encrypted, um, you know, a, a hacker will send you some information show, look, to prove that they've been inside your, your, your network. Now, at that point in time, it's very hard for the IT to give you a really good picture on the exact extent of that, that breach. So it takes days or hours, if not days, and sometimes even weeks to get a full understanding of what's happened. But for the executive team, the pressure on them is immediate. And depending on the, the sensitivity of that data, uh, you could be getting the public or regulators uh, or others coming to you wanting to know the extent of that, that incident within hours. And yet mm. you're going back to your IT team saying, what's happened? And they're saying, look, we're still trying to work out what's happened. And so that's it's challenging. Now, another thing that's become real challenging is that there is that your mandatory reporting, a lot of those uh, regulatory requirements, you've got several days and some of them even a month. So you've got some, a, a period of time. However, depending on the sensitivity of that data, if I've had my, for example, passport, bank accounts, credit cards compromised, I would expect that, that um, company to notify me very quickly. And I'm talking within that day. Yeah. So while there's no regulatory requirement to report it to the people immediately, the the public court of public opinion is yes, you do need to do that. So it's it's shifted this um, 
thinking that, oh, look, we've got a bit of time. The reality is once you've established um, the, you know, the impact of the data, that it is serious, you need to get out there and on the front foot and notifying people. Well, well, these things get so much attention now, don't they? Particularly those big examples, which raises the level of consternation of people and the fear about what might be happening with their data. So I'm guessing organisations need to be more mindful of that as well in the way that they're dealing with the issue, publicly at least. Correct, Chris. It's interesting. So the the first thing is that I think people now are more... um, um, accepting that companies will have a cyber incident. So hmm. in that regard, you've got a little bit of play there that people think, look, we, we see this happening a lot, so we can accept that. But what they also say is we now know that you should be communicating to us a lot quicker and you should have that sorted. So you, while you, we can accept you may get a cyber incident and they can happen, we would expect that you're well prepared for that and you'll be communicating quickly. So the expectation of the public that you will be quick to respond is very high. Councils are pretty well versed in having business continuity plans and all sorts of uh, plans ready to go in the event of a crisis. How well do you see those plans shaping up for the eventuality of needing to put it into action? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, with our um, history with uh, local and even state government, we find those plans are very tactically orientated. And I go back to our last um, chat and we we separate into three areas. So you've got your what we call tactical response. So for example, if there's a fire, you know you evacuate everyone out of the building, you get them to the assembly area. That's what we call a tactical response. The strategic response, which is your executive team, and they're looking at well, what's going to happen now? We've got some people injured or killed. We can't use that building any anymore. Um, we've got litigation. We've got media here. That's your strategic response. And your Mm -hmm. third phase is your business continuity. Our learnings over the years is that uh, local government are are very good at this, uh, what they call the tactical response. Um, They do that well. When it comes to strategic response, not so good. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at a cyber event, while there are some tactical aspects of it, and that's more your IT department, there's a lot of strategic response required. How do councils do that better, Alan? You, you need to, we go back to our, our old methodology is that the first thing we look at is you, you've got to have your plans in order. And when I say plans in order, I just want to unpack this a little bit. Hmm. Fascinating over the years that, you know, we've met a number of clients, we, we meet them and they say, look, we've got plans and they wheel out a trolley with the plans <laughs> and they can get them and make a good door jam. But uh, hmm. the, the reality is not, we've even said, you know, um, do you use these plans? They say, we never use them, but look, <laughs> Yeah, you know, they're leather bound and they're terrific. <laughs> so the plans have to be very agile. They have to be, you know, fit for purpose. If I'm on a crisis team, I want to pick it up and it's and where we've developed the plans now. It's a step by step what I need to do. So first things get your plans right. The next one is you need to train your team. So when we go into that critical incident mode or crisis mode. I need to know when I walk in that room what what my role is. And usually it is aligned to your normal business role, but I need to be cleared and I stay in my lane. So we go into what we call like a paramilitary sort of response. The niceties of our normal business meetings tend to go. You have a team leader and we're pretty firm and clear in our direction where we're going. And then the the third one is uh, exercising. So, um, you know, drills, uh, running simulations, and every time we do them, even with uh, people who are really well prepared, there's still a lot of learnings that come out of it. 
And the idea of that is you've just got this muscle memory. And when a, an incident does occur, your team is just like, we've done this before. Yeah, they're mm. just bang, they're on it and they can make good decisions. There's no um, deliberation about who's on the team, where we're going to meet, uh, what should we think of first. Th th that's all sorted. They can really respond quickly. So for CEOs or senior executives watching this who might lay awake at night worrying about whether they're as well protected as they could be, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to them? Do a simulation. Do a simulation. Run, run a simulation. Get, get in as providers out there can do it, and that's included. And you say, mm -hmm. look, all right, let's run a simulation of a death in the workplace, of a cyber attack, uh, of a major power outage, you know, Run things that are plausible within your business that keep the instances that keep you awake at night. Run mm. some simulations on those. Now, interesting to talk about the CEO, Chris. We recommend the CEO doesn't actually lead the team. And that's mm. interesting. A lot of people go, well, that's, why wouldn't you not have the CEO lead? And the reasons we put that for one is that often CEOs are unavailable. You know, they're traveling, um, they're tied up in in other um high level meetings or, mm -hmm. or events. So that's the first one. The other one is that the CEO might be the person that's actually been kidnapped, um, is, is, you know, actually the person, you know, it's caused mm -hmm. the, the incident, uh, mm -hmm. or they could have been the perpetrator as well. Um, so there's a raft of reasons for not using. The other thing is that when that team come together, the team lead is really absorbed in responding and managing that response or that crisis team. If you're the CEO, you can't be doing that. Then also, considering your media, your key stakeholders, like, for example, government um, and, and a bit the broader picture. So we, we always say the CEO should actually step aside. They've got that helicopter view. Let the team manage or respond to the incident. And quite often the CEO will be the spokesperson, but they've also, and they can be the conduit to, you know, the significant stakeholders they may need to talk to. You're also a big proponent for some sort of independent review of an organization's plans and processes, aren't you? Yep. And I, I know yep. that's not a self-serving thing. I know that, yep. but just talk a bit about why you think that's so important. Yeah, look, it's uh, again, going back to when I spoke earlier, when people would roll out a trolley with the plans on them, a few things that, you know, nowadays there's an expectation that your plans would align to standards. And the other thing is that the plans are actually um, fit for purpose and user-friendly. Uh, I've seen many of plans, and look, they're, they're built on good intent, but it's quite often coupled from things that are found on Google, <laughs> uh, maybe some ex-military police people with who, with good intent, but the plans are so detailed and there's so much information in them. And you know, open the first page and it's, you know, once upon a time, that they're not fit for purpose. You know, so the plans, and that's why running through and creating them yourself, um, Look, you think you're doing it efficiently, but we've found you're actually better to get someone to come in and actually just write the plans for you, make them fit for purpose and very active. So that the, mm. the, when you're using these plans, it should be intuitive. You shouldn't be thinking about, well, what do I need to do? It'll just flow. And that's the idea mm. of the plans. Perhaps if you don't mind, can we do a bit of crystal ball gazing? Um, yeah. Because this, this, this space changes so much. What's coming at us? What's coming down the path in terms of the fronts of attack or uh, protection that people need to be thinking about in terms of cyber particularly? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd go step back. If you look at the um, the global surveys and predictions, uh, natural disasters, uh, they take the top, top bill at the moment. Mm. And I think we can, you know, it's right to say, look around um, the country right now is that, you know, from the floods, the fires and storms, earthquakes. So natural disasters are absolutely front of mind. And I think more preparedness that and a lot of tactical response in that, obviously, when it happens. But you also need to have, from a strategic point of view, 
you know, because local government does so much um, assistance, but I think a lot of people don't even understand in supporting people when when those events occur. Mm. So that's, you know, uh, bolstering your um, team for that tactical response, but also the strategic response. And those events, by the way, too, and we all forget, a lot of people don't realise, they often are quite protracted. So if a major flood you know, or a storm or fire comes through, it's not like we just clean up and then back to work the next day. So we've got a major impact on our operations. And at the same time, uh, you still got to deliver your normal services. Again, I think when the when local government are looking at putting the teams together, and some uh, clients we're now seeing are actually even putting a team together, they can actually take offline to just work on responding to that incident. And the rest of the team can actually work on normal business and keep that going. And the other thing, identifying, what can we actually uh, wind back if we're limited on you know, funding or, or staffing? What things can we shelve for the time being so we can focus on our core services and responding to this incident? I know you took a step back to the National Zoo. Just to make a point, I saw a stat the other day. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm recalling this correctly. About half or even slightly more than half of all councils in Australia, and there's 537 of them, have uh, experienced a a natural disaster in the last 12 to 18 months. It's 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 extraordinary. It is, yeah. And it's interesting. We did some work with Parks Victoria um, a few years back, and it's nearly 25% of their time back then, and I'm, Mm. I'm sure it's even more, it was in emergency management. Yeah, and an agency mm. that you know, people wouldn't think you know a lot of your time was spent on that, and I'm sure local government the stats would be you know fairly high. It's uh, interesting, mm. but yeah, the the long term impact. So having that strategic team ready and forecasting again, doing those um, scenarios. Now people would say to you, well, how can we forecast what the magnitude of the flood or the fire or the storm? You can't. But what we can do is say, look, well, let's look at what's happened around us and let's work on that level, and it gives us a baseline. Won't be 100% right, but it gives us a good starting point. So we look at, say, the floods up in you know north, northern Western Australia, uh, up around the Lismore area. What are the learnings from that? Then let's in, incorporate that into our our scenario and walk through what we would do. So now going into cyber, look the, the uh, again just our observation and view on this. What happened during the pandemic is we we went online and we we really. Uh, I think it was true. We all adapted so well, and we've seen a lot of efficiencies in running things online. So, you know, paying bills, uh, transacting, getting documents signed, we can all run that online. Terrific. We've got a lot of efficiencies out of that, and I think they're here to stay, which is good. Where I think the huge failing was is that we weren't bolstering, if you like, the security around that. And if we look at the banks, the telcos, um, health funds, local government, We've all sort of raced ahead with this new technology, which is great, but I don't think we've put enough in the background to bolster that, all right, have we got any, is this, you know, have we got any leakage in this? Because mm. if we get someone that comes in here, that's going to do a lot of damage. So, for example, again, a lot of companies we're seeing now are doing, you know, just very regular phishing um, testing. Mm-hmm. And they still say even today, they'll catch out a lot of the staff. They'll send something through about, oh, there's a message from the CEO here, click here for, you know, because it's your work anniversary or something. People will click it, open it, mm. bang, you've mm. exposed the organisation. Uh, you know, people running laptops, you know, uh, hotspotting at a local cafe. They don't even know what that network is. They're, you know, just a raft of things that people are doing and we haven't bolstered the back end of this. 
And and while we're spending money on IT, that's important. But there's a there's a whole package, there's a raft of things that should be done around that. And we've just got to be very disciplined about it. Alan, parting thought: if there's one thing you want, uh, particularly senior execs, to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Do do some drills. Do, even if you run them internally or get an external, that's better. But run drills. Go get your team together and say, "All right, I want to run a simulation and I want to test this out as, as best we can." So run that through, and then you'll get some good insights. And go, look, how do we see it? Are we comfortable with this? Yeah, where were the where the failings? Were they? Are we? Are we and again, what's your appetite for risk? You know, if we had some failings, yeah, look, we'd accept that. Or yeah, wow, that really caught us out. And again just getting that muscle memory. So when something does happen, again, um, the, that executive team, the strategic team, should be ready for anything. It doesn't matter if it's cyber, death of an employee, mm. accusations of corruption, whatever it is, that that team are ready to respond. And just run scenarios, run the drills. That's the best advice I could give because that'll you'll have an honest appreciation just where you're at. Alan, it's always great to talk to you. Very insightful as always. And um, this is a topic not going away, so I'm sure it won't be the last time we chat. Thanks very much for your time. Great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your time. That's Alan Briggs from Crisis Shield with us in conversation today on VLGA Connect.